0: Coming to you from the Barrier Islands Center on Virginia's Eastern Shore, this is Sharing the Mic with David Phillips. You can find this podcast on the BIC website, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Be sure to like and hit that subscribe button. My guest today is the multi-talented Andrew Barber a freelance writer and editor specializing in very different fields, educational technology and travel. He first covered Ed Tech at Scholastic's Electronic Learning Magazine in the 1980s and years later worked at Campus Technology as executive editor. He has also served as editorial director of Fodor's.com and a director of programming for AOL's Travel Channel. He is a resident of the Eastern Shore of Virginia. Andrew Barber, welcome to Sharing the Mic. It's a pleasure to be here. We're both come here to the shore, but I think you're a little bit farther away than I am. I came from one state away in Kentucky, which used to be part of Virginia. Uh, Can you give us a little bit about your background?
1: Well, it depends how much time you have. It's... uh... I'm originally from South Africa, but I really did not spend much of my life there. In fact, we moved all over the world. And at this point, I have spent most of my life in the U.S. But we did stints in, I went to school in England. We lived in Switzerland for a while. And then in the U.S., we've lived uh, Michigan, and I've lived in California, New York. Uh, So I've moved around
0: a lot. When did you come to the eastern shore of Virginia, and uh, what drew you here?
1: We have been here nearly 20 years. Uh, We were living in San Francisco, Mm -hmm. and I was coming to the end of a stint working with a company there, and we were trying to figure out what was next. And 9-11 happened. That really shook things up for us. Uh, Louise, my wife, uh, lost a very dear cousin in the 9-11 Towers, and so Mm -hmm. after that, she really wanted to get back to the East Coast and family. I was not wedded to coming back to the East Coast, but you know I was prepared to do so if we could live on the water. And so that began the search for us, and I found a house. I was looking for a historic home. I found one online, and it was looking out at the water, and I thought, wow, that looks rather nice. But we didn't come immediately to that house. Instead, we started up in Cape Cod and looked at houses all the way down the coast. And lo and behold, ended up at this one house on the eastern shore of Virginia, the first one I
0: had seen, and that's the one we bought. That's interesting. It rather parallels my adventure here. Uh, Our sort of guidelines were, it has to be on the water. It has to be further south than New York City. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that started our little quest, and we ended up in Cape Charles in a historic house. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a familiar tale, I think. I I think it is. And, And we
1: were just astonished to find farms that go to the water's edge. You know, it, you know, up in the northeast you just do not get that kind of
0: experience
1: and so it was it was it was fantastic to come across, across this place it really was
0: but well, one of the things we're certainly going to talk about are the three books you've written for the barrier island center do you remember your first experience with the barrier island center how you came to be involved
1: well as as I said we moved here 20 years ago and the barrier island center was just really getting going at that point point. Um, and it was essentially a museum to start with. It didn't have a lot of the outreach programs that they went on to set up. And I remember actually taking my parents there. They were visiting from South Africa, and we went up there and I showed them around. And also at that time, we had small children, as did... You know, Sally Dickinson had small children, and so we also were drawn into that orbit. Later, uh, as Sally got involved, we, we came to know the Barrier Island Center a lot better. But that first experience was really just a walk-in to see the museum with my parents.
0: Man, that's another very familiar story. Yes. A lot of the people that have gotten involved have just popped in because they saw it on the highway, and that's the right. rest is history, right. right?
1: And it's always good. I mean, we, we moved here... And you know it's always good to know the underlying story of a place you live in, and that's one of the great places to learn
0: about it. So, what prompted you to write uh, a twisted Christmas tale? They asked me to. <laughs> okay. Okay. They, um, you know, my
1: wife and I had both worked at Scholastic um, in New York, and. Even though we weren't on the children's side, we were on the professional side, um, I, I think maybe they felt we had some connection to uh, that world. And so they asked me to take a crack at it. Uh, and I'd never worked, I'd never written fiction, and I'd never written for children. Um, I was, uh, you know, my writing background was, was rather different from that. But it was a, a great challenge, and they made it easier by giving me sort of the ingredient list of what needed to be in the book. Because it is a book that's underlying
0: is to teach kids a little bit about this place. And Excuse me, that's a question I was going to ask. Uh, did it start out to be kind of an educational book, or was it just a fun little story? Or It was intended to... To have an educational
1: component to it, and understanding that uh, sugar is easier than uh, is an easy way to take your medicine, wrapping it up into a fun uh, children's book with sheep made it much you know much more palatable. And so there were elements that they wanted to get into the book: um, the the almshouse itself and the history of the almshouse, um, the twisted chimney. The Hog Island sheep, which is this this now a standalone breed that developed out on the on the islands, they wanted all these different elements brought in, and so I just needed to fit the puzzle pieces together and 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 pull it together into a coherent story. So that was, and I think they did me a favor by giving me these
0: must-haves. It, it, it made it easy for me to construct. It. Sure. Once you're constrained by something, then you don't have to wander out and flounder. <laughs> That's right. I did not have to beat about in the bushes. A Christmas Tale was published in 2012, and then... The Hog Island Sheep in Red, White, and you was published in 2014. The Hog Island Sheep in a State of you Nation was published in 2015. Explain a little bit about how the, the whole series evolved. And also, they seem to all center on Hog Island one way or the other. Was there a particular reason that Hog Island was chosen? Because there is now going to be a film about Hog Island. Yeah. Well, I... It's the sheep. It comes back to the sheep,
1: Um, and it's the Hog Island uh, sheep are a breed, and once we started down that road of, of concocting a story involving sheep, it was always going to have to stick with Hog Island. You know, Hog Island itself, the history of Hog Island was was fascinating um, with Broadwater, the town of Broadwater at the end. So there was a lot of material to go through and a lot to teach kids about. So there wasn't any, it you know, wasn't a dearth of material. Um, and the sheep was the framework on which we could construct more stories that looked at various phases of the history of those of the islands you know we didn't think it through all the way so the first book in terms of a linear rollout, there's no such thing we go forward, we go back we go forward it's it's not a you know the Grover Cleveland would have been the third book should have come first um but that's not how it turned out.
0: Are there any more planned? no.
1: There are no more plans. I think I have ex- uh, I have gone through every sheep pun I can come up with. I think I'm
0: completely sheeped out at this point. Well, are there any future books on other subjects, perhaps? Uh, uh, with the Barrier Island Center, yes.
1: uh, no, not at the moment. Uh, I have not discussed any further books with them. Um, you know, always open to to looking at new projects, but no, at the moment, no, nothing, nothing in the works.
0: Well, as a neighbor of yours, I know that you're also something of a baker. And uh, you work alongside your wife, Louise, at the bakery on Mason in Cape Charles. Have you always been interested in baking, or is this something that came along after Louise got so involved with it? Louise was the driver of all of this. She started,
1: probably 11 years ago, um, baking bread for a farmer's market over in Virginia Beach. And she actually got into baking bread for us because we couldn't get any good bread around here. There was no good bread to be had, and we had come from San Francisco where there was plenty of good bread to be had. So we missed it, and so she started, and eventually she got to a point where she felt confident enough to sell it at farmer's markets, and she did that for eight years before she decided to jump into a retail place uh, in Cape Charles. During the last few years uh, at at the farmer's markets, I was uh, making baguettes for her. That was how I got pulled in. Um, and I that's continues to be my main role is baking baguettes. It's a, it's a labor-intensive job, and so that's I'm just focused on doing that. But it's you know, it's there's a long family history on both sides, actually, with baking. Her grandfather was the baker at the Hotel Bosset in Brooklyn. And I only found out after we opened the bakery, my mother then said, Well, you know, your great grandfather owned the best bakery in Benoni, which is a town in South Africa. Um, And I had no idea that there was this family connection to baking. So, big coincidence. It's in your (laughs) genes. It's in the genes, yes, there you go.
0: Have you got anything you'd like to say in terms of telling other people about the Barrier Island Center or just about the Eastern Shore in general? (laughs)
1: <laughs> well certainly uh, the Barrier Island Center has developed from those early days when when it did start to my recollection, mainly as a museum, it has really become a community center. And I think for anyone who is new to the shore and wants to get a flavor of the shore, a visit there goes way beyond just seeing what the exhibits are. I mean, it, you do get a sense of the heartbeat of the community when you start talking to the folks who work there and all the very uh, various events that go on there, whether it's cooking classes, the oyster roast, or whatever. It it is central at this point to Eastern Shore life, I would say. Um, and, you know, I don't think you could start at a better place to get a sense of what's going on. So, yeah, I would, I would encourage anyone, as if they're bringing relatives in or they're new to the area, make a stop That's there. That's the place to go. It is, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, Andrew Barber, thank you so much. You are more than welcome. It's been a pleasure. Now for a special treat, we have Andrew reading an excerpt from The Twisted Christmas Tale. You can find copies of this and the other two Hog Island Sheep books at the gift shop in the Barrier Island Center Museum and the online store at www.barrierislandcenter.org. The Hog Island Sheep in a Twisted Christmas Tale.
1: A long time ago on Virginia's eastern shore, so long ago only your wrinkliest relatives might remember, there lived a little orphan girl. Her name was Amanda, and she lived in the almshouse, a home that gave shelter to poor people who had nowhere else to go. Although the almshouse fed her and gave her a bed to sleep in, life was very, very hard. The children had almost no toys to play with, and winter nights were freezing. Amanda decided to make some changes. She wrote a letter to Santa. Dear Santa, for Christmas, please bring warm blankets for our beds and some dolls to play with. Because of the cold, I'll probably be awake when you arrive. I hope the noise of my knees knocking doesn't scare your reindeer. Love, Amanda. Amanda sealed her letter in an envelope and addressed it, Santa Claus, North Pole, after Chincoteague just keep going. Suddenly... A strange look crossed her face, and she burst into tears. She didn't have money for a stamp. But her tears didn't last long. You see, Amanda wasn't one of those children who whine and pout. She was made of sterner stuff. She wiped her face and started to think. That afternoon, she accompanied the cook to the harbor at Willis Wharf to buy bushels of clams and oysters. Shellfish was cheap back then, and the residents of the almshouse often ate them in soups, stews, and fritters. When no one was looking, Amanda crept down to the dock. From her pocket, she pulled a bottle that she had found behind the almshouse. She placed her letter inside and sealed it with a cork. She looked out over the channel at the expanse of salt grass. Then, with all her might, she hurled the bottle into the water and watched as the tide carried it toward the sea. Amanda knew the chances of the bottle reaching Santa were slim. The bottle would have to find its way past the barrier islands, islands with names such as wreck and mockhorn, hog and cob, that stood between the eastern shore and the Atlantic Ocean. Even then, the bottle would have to bob all the way to the North Pole, dodging icebergs, polar bears, an abominable snowman. Amanda sighed and walked back to the shack. That night, not five miles offshore, a meeting was underway on Hog Island. A flock of 200 sheep was gathered on the beach around a bonfire. In front of the woolly assembly, on a driftwood log, sat two big rams. I oh, don't know about you lot said one of the rams, but I am sick and tired of being named after pigs. Hog Island sheep, indeed. My ancestors came here from England in the 18th century, and I won't play second fiddle to swine. I'm a sheep, and this should be Sheep Island. Excited bleating erupted from the crowd. Hank, replied Vernon, a distinguished ram with mutton-chop whiskers. No one really knows if Hog Island got its name from pigs that shipwrecked here. It might just be an old yarn. Of course they wrecked, shouted Hank. Pigs are sloppy sailors. Couldn't find their way off the poop deck. Pink land blubbers, that's what they are. Vernon ignored him. The island's name may have nothing to do with pigs, he said. Hog may be short for quahog. It's an Indian word for clam. The millions around here. I'm not taking a back seat to a bivalve, steamed Hank. He jumped from the log and started to chant. This island is for lambs, not for clams. This island is for rams, not for hams. As sheep tend to do, the whole flock was soon chanting the slogan. Just then, a small lamb came gambling up from the beach, clutching Amanda's bottle. The sheep gathered around the fire as Vernon withdrew Amanda's letter. Who's Santa? asked the young lamb after Vernon had read the letter aloud. "'A magical man who delivers gifts on Christmas,' answered Vernon. "'Red suit, kind of paunchy, big white beard, looks a bit like... "'Although sheep have never been famous for their intellectual agility, "'you could be forgiven for thinking that a look of pure cunning "'had stolen across
0: Vernon's face.' "'I have an idea,' he said."
1: Vernon's plan was simple.
0: And to hear how Vernon's plan and the story unfolds, go get the book. This next segment of our Eastern Shore, produced several years ago by WHRO Media, has particular significance as it relates to Hog Island and a little girl called Amanda. Listen.
2: An orphan left on the steps of the county poorhouse, she became a true daughter of Virginia's Barrier Islands. You're listening to Our Eastern Shore. In 1864, Amanda Alton was born near Eastville. Amanda was just an infant when her father was lost at sea and a few years later her mother died. She became a resident of the almshouse or poorhouse in Northampton County, where the Barrier Island Center is now located. Amanda moved out to Hog Island when she was a teenager and was hired as a domestic for 50 cents a month, plus room and board. She kept that job until she met and fell in love with William Doughty. They decided to get married one Sunday, but when they went to look for the preacher, they discovered that he was out in the bay fishing. So they got into their boat and found him on the placid waters of Machapongo Bay, where they were united in marriage. Amanda, or as the islanders called her, Mander, was a resourceful and industrious woman, though she could neither read nor write. Besides her skills as a cook and a homemaker, a wife and mother, she was good at doctoring. Amanda concocted her own liniments and salves and medications for different maladies. She was also an excellent seamstress. She could look at a dress in a catalog, make her own pattern, and sew an exact replica of the catalog version. As the saying goes, you do what you have to do. And Amanda Doughty, or Mander, as everyone called her, did just that. She was a good mother and a devoted wife, and even though she never went to school, she made sure her children were educated. Amanda believed in being respectful and abided by the golden rule. She endured many hardships in her life, but she persevered through strength and determination and went on to live a long and productive life. Our Eastern Shore is created by WHRO FM in partnership with the Barrier Islands Center. Funding has been provided by the Virginia Foundation for the Humanities. You've been listening to Sharing the Mic
0: with David Phillips, produced by the Barrier Islands Center on Virginia's Eastern Shore. Sally Dickinson, Executive Director. Kristen Dennis, Office and Marketing Manager. Megan Ames, Director of Planning and Development. Tracy Jones, Director of Education. The Barrier Islands Center is located at 7295 Young Street in Machipango, Virginia, 23405. The website is www.barrierislandscenter.org. If you have comments or questions about this podcast, please direct them to bicpodcast at icloud. Com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends and subscribe. Until next time, this is David Phillips. Stay safe and be well.